Hello to everyone. We're thankful for another opportunity the Lord's give us to study. Thankful for His mercy, grace, and compassion that's been multiplied upon us. and For the love of God that's in Christ Jesus that we could be saved and a part of His family. We apologize for not having a study out last week. That was certainly our fault. Um, so we, we apologize for that and we'll try to not allow that to happen again if we can. Um, but we're looking at Elijah and when we left off, we left off about verse 16. Elijah's down at the widow's house in Zarephath. The word of the Lord came to her and uh, promised her that the barrel of meal and the uh, oil would not waste until rain come and they've been eating on that and uh, we'll pick up in verse 17 of this chapter 17 of first kings so let me repeat that first kings chapter 17 verse 17 and it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman the mistress of the house fell sick and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him and she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance, and to slay my son? So here, uh, Elijah has been at the widow's house. She has obeyed the word of God. God has delivered mightily in providing for them that that they could eat. And here her son has fallen sick, and not just sick, but there's no breath left in him. So that's one way of saying in plain and simple terms, he's dead. So her son has fallen sick and died. And, you know, maybe to the carnal mind, this just doesn't sound right. And um, that's understandable. I think that's a product of health and wealth preaching, as well as accounting the natural life um, part of the blessings of God, that if we do God's will, that God will bless us naturally. And that's not, while that is true, and let's be careful there, it's not always the way that the flesh envisions it being. Certainly we have hindsight here, Hindsight's always twenty twenty. We know the whole story here, that this is for the glory of God. But you put yourself in that place, and uh, it would be hard to see, to endure this, and to see that all is going to be better because of it, if, if that makes any sense at all. But the important thing to note, I believe here, one important thing, is that even though actively being used of God, she's going to endure great affliction and tribulation. And Jesus says as much to his disciples in John chapter number 16 and verse number 44. I'm sorry, verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
So he's speaking in 14, 15, 16 of the comforter that's coming um, as he ascends back to God. He's going to send the comforter back to dwell and abide with those that are his. And he says, in me you can have peace. And you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of acquaintance with the natural and the spiritual when it comes to peace. But God doesn't say that we would have peace in the natural world all the time. In the world you shall have tribulation. And that's the nature of this life. This life is few days and full of trouble. Jacob said, few and evil. And that's the nature of this life. And, and you know, you can trace that back as we're looking currently in Sunday school at the fall in the garden you can trace the trouble of this life back to the entrance of sin into the seed of Adam such that the trouble of this life it's a result of sin Satan evil iniquity rebellion against God and in this life you can bank on it there's going to be trouble now some may suffer and endure more than others in the natural life. But know this, that in Christ Jesus, we can have peace even though the outward man perish and is in tribulation and trouble day by day. Yet the inward man has peace. And I, I believe this, knowing that God is in control of all things. You know, there's religions and uh, uh, folks today that believe that the world is just out of God's control and God's going to bring it back under control one day. But the Lord has never lost control just because that Adam sinned in the garden. That does not mean that God lost control of man or of the world. When Job was going to be tried, the devil had to ask and receive permission in order to afflict Job. And so, would it not be the same today? And truly, and you know, more so, that wouldn't be a correct term because it's not more, but Jesus has defeated the devil today and he hadn't at the time in Job's day and yet the devil was still subject unto God. <clears throat> and certainly, the devil's still subject to God today. So the church can have peace in Jesus Christ knowing that he is in control of all things and that even through the greatest affliction that you can face, God's hand will still lead and provide and direct through it all. He says in 1 Peter chapter number 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 12, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So the church ought not think it strange when trials come, you know, I believe that's the way that the flesh, the carnal, the natural man, 
That's the way his mind works. And certainly you put yourself in the widow's place. Here you've received the man of God. Here you've done what the man of God, the word of God requested you to do. God is actively blessing you by providing food for you. And you are uh, providing food for the man of God, the word of God. She's in a place... And you talk about blessing now. God's providing and keeping and protecting. And she's being obedient unto God the whole way. And yet tribulation and trouble comes. And the natural man says, why would this happen to me? Of all people, why would this trial, why would this affliction come upon me? Peter says, think it not strange concerning not just a trial, but a fiery trial. And there the Lord Jesus is trying, and the word there means to test or to approve. And it's the same picture you have of gold or silver that's tried in the fire. The purpose is refining, growing, making more valuable. There the work of the trial is at work in the lives of those that are saved. And the trial will face, everyone will face the fiery trial. And you know, truly, even though we may look at the lost and dying world as David did and say they don't face what we have to face, that's not true. They face evil and they face trials as well. But they're going to die one day, and in the judgment, they're going to face the wrath of God. The greatest blessing that could be have of man the church has, and that's redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't be as those, and Paul warned Timothy about that crowd in 1 Timothy, and if we're not very careful, that's the way we'll begin to think. It's just, it's the natural man that thinks like this. But Paul warned Timothy, 1 Timothy 6 verse 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt mind and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So Paul says, don't equate godliness and gain in this natural life together. They do not go together. If they did, then this widow woman would have been blessed beyond measure, and yet she's suffering this great affliction. Her son has died. And so you look towards the New Testament at the pictures there, and in no place does God promise wealth naturally if I obey him. And if it were true, then would not Paul and Peter and the apostles that labored to preach the gospel, would they not have had the most blessed lives of everybody on the earth? And yet Paul was hungry and destitute and naked and beaten and imprisoned and had his life took from him. Peter was shamed, cast in prison, and had his life took from him. John was exiled under the Isle of Patmos. These men of God that had great power, great wisdom, that wrote portions of the Word of God, yet they endured great affliction. And that was proving to a lost and dying world that God was real to them through those afflictions. 
God would like to prove through his church today. And don't think it strange if a trial should come upon you. So now, you look at how her thinking is. She says, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? So here she's very distraught. And I don't, I don't say one thing against that. I completely understand. She has just lost her son and she's distraught. But think about how it's changed from when the man of God first came. Remember she said, back up in uh, verse number 12, she said, I've only got a handful of meal and a little oil. I'm going to make this and me and my son, we're going to die. Spoke very lightly and matter-of-factly of it there. And yet here, here she is enduring it and she is absolutely distraught. Now, I think in the flesh we're this way as well. It's very easy to speak lightly of something when somebody else is enduring it or when it's talked about. But when it comes to our house, it tends to be a little different. That's why a man ought to always be very careful about what he says and what he thinks of others that endure affliction. Job 4, verse number 4. Thy words have upholden him that was falling. Thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it is come upon thee, and thou fainest. It toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. It's different when it comes to your house than what you had envisioned in your mind. That's the way it is with everyone. So don't look then at others and say, well, that trouble's come because of sin. That's what Job's friend's done. Don't look at them and say, well, if I endured that, I would endure it differently or I would handle it better. You don't know how it would be until it comes to your house. So many be the times man ought to just keep his mouth shut because we don't know what the trial is. It's going to be until it comes. Her opinion had certainly changed, and ours will as well. In John chapter 13, verse number 37, Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Now, I believe with all my heart that Peter meant that when he said it to the Lord. Peter meant that he would be willing to lay his life down for the cause and for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see in the garden that he pulls out a sword to defend the Lord. He was ready. But now the pressure is going to come. Looks like the Lord Jesus is going to die. Certainly he is. But that realization is beginning to set in. And when they begin to question Peter, Peter does as the Lord says in verse 38, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. The Lord says, Peter, you say that now, and you may mean it with all of your heart, but when it comes to your house, and when it comes down to your neck, 
you're going to deny me. And you're going to do what you've swore you would not do. I've said this, me and my wife, I've told her many times, uh, and a lot of times jokingly, but it's very true. When I begin to say, I wouldn't let that happen, I wouldn't allow that, or I would never do that, or I say, I'll always do this, and I'll keep this up from now on, it seems like I always eat those words. When man begins to make a bold claim, man falls. Happens every time. I don't know whether it happens to you or not, but you just think back to some things that you said would never happen, that you'd never do. Many be the times we eat those words. And so, when it comes home, it's different. It's not the same. She spoke lightly of her son's death before, but now she's distraught. And so, this is what she says, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? So though she's angry and though she's distraught that her son has died, yet she's repentant. She's saying, I realize I have sin. Have you come to call my sin, my iniquity, and my failure to remembrance? In Genesis 42, and this is the story of Joseph, his brethren have sold him. And now they're down in Egypt and they don't recognize Joseph. They figured he's been dead for years. Yet they're facing trouble from the hand of this Egyptian. And this is what they say. They said one to another, We are very guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. So when this distress comes, you know, we begin to think back to how sinful that we've been. The brothers are now facing this distress, and maybe, maybe they hadn't thought a breath about Joseph for many years. And yet now, here comes a trial, here comes some tribulation, here comes some anguish, and they remember their sin. And they say, wait a minute, this has come upon me because of my sin. And here, that's exactly what this woman says. She says, my son has died because you've come to call my sin to remembrance. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 4, Samuel now is coming to Bethlehem. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? So they see the man of God coming. They're trembling and in fear. That's the way man is. We're so sinful, so wicked. When trouble comes, there's a remembrance made of sin. And man ought to be repentant always. So she says, Art thou come unto me 
to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son. Now she's blaming it on the man of God. Blaming it on the word of God. Blaming it on God. And that happens a lot of times. God is unjustly pointed out. God is unjustly accused. God is unjustly uh, charged with things that he should not be charged with. But that's, again, the way the natural mind works. And so, the man of God, in verse 19, back in 1 Kings 17, he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him in his own bed. So here, the man of God says, Give me the son. He's of no uh, value to her right now. And I say that as uh, she's not able to do anything for him. She can't help him any longer. And God says, Give him to me. Elijah says, Give me your son. And she gives her son to the man of God. If there's any hope for the son... It's in God and in His power and in His ability. And if there's any hope, friends, for any of us, it's in the Lord. So David writes in Psalm 55, verse 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. God desires for us to lay at His feet those burdens, those weights, those troubles to our soul, there's truly nothing that we can do about that. And we ought to realize that. Lay them down at the Lord and trust in Him. The Lord would be our sustenance. The Lord would be our strength. The Lord would be our help if we would trust Him with that. And now, friends, that does not mean that God's going to take away every little thing that troubles our life immediately and instantly, but that that troubles our soul, if we would take that to the Lord and say, God, this is out of my control. I don't know what ought to be done here, but I'm going to lay it at your feet and I'm going to believe that you're able to carry me through this. I believe that you're able to handle this and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your hand. I'm going to trust your ability. I'm going to believe in your power. Now, if you cast your hope anywhere else, we're going to be continually disappointed. We're not going to receive what we're looking for from the hands of man or from the hands of the flesh. We may not receive the answer that our flesh would desire. But we can trust God through every bit of it. God says, cast thy burdens on the Lord. Again, in Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, verse number 6, be careful for nothing. Now that word careful there means to be anxious to worry, to fear. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful of anything. Don't allow any situation, any occurrence, any trouble to cause you to be anxious and to continually worry. 
Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. So we've got worship, and we've got uh, uh, making our petitions known. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which path us all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So God says, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't fear, don't be dreadful, but come to me and pray. And therein is the strength of the church of God that we make our requests and our prayers known unto God. We're not being anxious about it, but we're bringing it to the Lord, laying it down at His feet, delivering our burdens, our fears, and our troubles to Him, and we're going to trust Him to work through it all. Now if we can't trust the Lord, then what peace do we have? But God promises, trust me with it. Know that I love you. Know that I care for you. And as he says again in First Peter, and I guess this is very familiar scripture, God desires for us to lay that that would cause fear, dread, worry, doubt continually to cast that upon him, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, knowing that the Lord loveth, that the Lord careth for our souls, for our lives, for our children, for our families. We can rest assured that God cares for you individually and your individual need and what individually troubles you. Don't let the devil cause you to doubt that. You know by his word that he cares and we know He loves, for He gave His Son for us. Cast your cares upon Him. Lay them on Him and say, God, I'm not able to carry this and to worry and fear and dread. It takes our life away from us. It takes our joy from us. It takes our peace from us. And it continually consumes us to try to carry that burden and that weight around. Cast your care upon Him and know that He cares for you. You know that He's in control. You know that He's all-powerful. You know that his hand is upon us trust him with it say God I'm going to follow you you handle that that's what God desires for his church to do with their burdens in Exodus chapter 2 maybe this sounds a little different but I believe it fits perfectly in they are throwing the men children the man-child, the boys that are born, the Egyptians are throwing them in the river to die. Now Moses is born. Moses' father and mother, they hide him that they wouldn't kill him. But he comes to the place in Exodus chapter number 2, verse number 2, and the woman conceived and bare a son. She saw that he was a goodly child. She hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him. they done all they could. They were unable now to do anything else for Moses. They could not hide him from the hand of the slayer any longer. She took for him an ark of bulrushes, 
daubed it with slime and pitch, put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Now she's going to have to cast Moses in the arms of the Lord and trust the Lord to provide deliverance for her son. So what ought we to do with our burdens, with our trials, give them to God. You can't do anything to improve. And you know this, maybe this is rudimentary, but whether I worry about it for the next two weeks or not, it does not make one difference. All it does is robs me. And friends, that's what the devil's out to do, to rob to steal and to destroy everything that you have. He'd like to rob you of any peace, any joy, any life, any service to God. He'd like to consume you. So God says, bring it to me, trust me with it, and the Lord will give us strength and peace. And so, back in Kings now, He took out of her bosom, carried him up into a loft where he abode, and laid him upon his own bed. Now the man of God's going to take the child, going to take him into himself, bringing him to his own bed, into his own place, and there he is completely out of her control. She couldn't do anything for him. She couldn't do anything with him. She's given him to God. Now God is going to work. And We'll stop right there. That's a good stopping place for this time. I hope the Word of God's been a help to you. I hope you have a blessed week in the Lord. We appreciate each one of you that listen. And we'll pick up right there next time. The man of God has got the widow's son and has taken him up to the loft. We love you. hope you have a wonderful week.